All right, class, we are on day four of The Truth is Told by Mason Buttle. Read out loud. We are on chapter 41, Drawing the Arrakis. I am standing in the foot cellar, looking at the pale wall. I have a stick of charcoal, carbonized. Keep running my finger along that. Keep closing my eyes. Calvin clicks around on his tablet and says, Do you want me to bring up that image of the Arrakis? I say, No, I don't need the photo. I can already see him, the Arrakis. Not sure why, but he's right there when I shut my eyes. Calvin nods. Hmm, well, okay. Don't let that blank wall stop you, Mason. Have at it. Maybe Calvin knows I don't want to make a mess of the clean, pale paint. Can't help thinking about the buttles that have been, the way we've been subtracting instead of adding. The root cellar is different. This is a place with progress to it. True, since the day Calvin and I opened the door. So I do it. I put the first charcoal mark down, and it's a long line. The long back of the Arrakis. I walk a full step to make it. I put a dip in the middle. I like how the charcoal stick feels, how it's soft and give it, gives itself into that wall. And I go. I put the lines my brain remembers, one after the other. I close my eyes, then open them. Big parts first. That's how this is going to go. It looks right. Then, it does not look right. But I think that that's because I have to finish what I started. So I add the low belly. Then I add the wideness of that rump. And don't you know it, a bump in the wall helps with that. Like it's meant to be. I draw the hinds of the Arrakis, and I can't believe it. Looks like I've done them right. I draw a line upward. That's his chest. Then I draw the throat of the Arrakis, his snout, and then the sloping face. I listen to the charcoal whispering along the wall. I draw pretty much a cap of a head, like something I could cut my hand over, if I got myself close to an Arrakis. But I won't. He's extinct. I step back and I breathe. Next would be the eye. But I'm not ready to draw it. I give him his legs instead. Thick upper, thin lower. The knobby bend in the hind ones. It's now that I can hear myself. I've been humming, grunting, snorting like an ancient cow, the Arrakis. When I turn, I see Calvin's not drawing. He's watching and listening. He whispers, don't stop, Mason. He makes a rumble in his throat, like me, like the Arrakis. He points to the wall and says, the horns. So I turn back. Got that charcoal in one hand? But the piece is smaller now. I raise both arms and curl my hands like horns of the Arrakis. I dip my head, keep a rumble in my throat. I reach up and draw one curved horn, then the other. And those horns look right. I have the feeling that this whole thing is coming together. I pull my arm back, take the stump of charcoal, and drill through the air right into the face of the Arrakis. I set down the mark that makes the eye. Then I roar. The sound goes off the closed walls in the root cellar and back at me. Holy cow, I feel mighty. Calvin's eyes are wide and his mouth is open, grinning. He stamps his tan, sandy shoes in the dirt floor. He says, yes, Mason, you're the Arrakis. I make the sound of thunder, stampeding hooves, and I'm loud. Calvin's cheering. And then there's another noise. It's sharp and short. We stop to listen. It's a bark. Once and then again. There's a scuffing, scuffing noise, too. 
Calvin looks at me. I look back at him. We're still and silent in the secret of the root cellar. The bark sounds again. We know who it is. We know what he's asking. It's killing me. I want to throw the door wide open. Calvin puts his eye to the knot hole, walks his body one way and then the other. He gives me a nod like I can open the door, but he also presses his hands toward the ground like to say, be careful. What you do then is you hope. You hope that the dog is here on his own and you hope that you don't give up the root cellar while you are being the Arrakis. I'm slow and careful about the door. I pull it open. Just inches. Two white paws scratch at the crack. A black nose squeezes in. Then Mooney leaps. He bursts in. I grab the rope and pull the door closed behind him. Well, now that we have him inside, I'll tell you what. He's pretty happy. He comes to me and stands two feet on my knee. He stretches up, tries to lick my chin. Then he bounces away and up to Calvin for more pats. He runs off, sniffing the corners and crannies of the root cellar. It's like he has too much to do. And all of it must be done now. I'll tell you what. I can't help much how much I love having Mooney with us. Calvin seems pretty okay with it, too. Maybe he worries, like me. Like what happens if Matt and Lance come looking for him. We don't say it out loud. I just pull the door again. Shut it extra hard. Mooney stands below my Arrakis. He walks up close. Sniffs the fresh charcoal. His tail wags. Then he takes two steps. Picks up his hind leg and pees on the wall. Calvin and I burst out laughing. We sputter and snort. We pinch our noses because, ew. But in the piddle, as it runs down on the floor and soaks into the old dirt, the stink goes with it pretty quick. And then Mooney goes and gives an old rag rug a scratch with one paw. It's just the thing I found half under our porch where we forgot about it. He circles and then lies down, chin on his paws. Calvin says, I think he just moved in. And I say, I guess so. I lean down, pat that dog. The smell of him, not the pee, but the fur and the skin smell makes me warm. It is simple. I feel good with Mooney in the root cellar. It feels like he belongs here. I know Matt Drinker would say different. I make a plan to carry Mooney home again, to give him protection, right there to his door. I will put him inside the Drinker house myself, but not yet, because he's tucked his nose into a fold of that old rug and closes his eyes. Mooney's asleep beside the Arrakis. Chapter 42, The Dead Man. Calvin is showing me some colors. He brought crayons, but not the little kid crayons, no. These are oil crayons, for artists. The colors are rust and brown and gold like our orchard in the fall. The oil in them smells good, like the tractor and the lawnmower. Calvin says, try them out. You can smudge them and smear them, if you want to. So I squat down by the wall, begin to put some color on the Arrakis. Calvin stands under the light shaft, tablet nearby. He goes down on hands and knees to draw the dead man. We work. Mooney sleeps with his legs twitching. I think about those four boys, the ones Garrison Keylor had said discovered the caves of Lasco, and the dog that was with them, the dog called Robot. I make it up in my mind, a dream for Mooney Drinker. He's running down a rocky hole in France, France over in Europe. He enters the cave and barks for his boys to come and see what he sees, an Arrakis on a cave wall. 
like this one that I'm dotting with oil crayons, only a real ancient one. Mooney Drinker could do that. He would be the dog who discovers that art cave. He has that much dog greatness in him. I believe that. It's not too long before I ask Calvin. I say, why do you think it was easy? He looks at me. Easy? What do you mean? I say, for a kid like me to draw a pretty good Arrakis. I mean, all of a sudden like that. You know me. I'm good at making a tractor go. I can dig a hole. That's me, but I'm no artist. I made a pretty good Arrakis here, though, didn't I? Calvin says, it's a great Arrakis. He says, you were in deep there. You were feeling like the Arrakis heart and your soul. Your spirits must be matched, Mason. He's your symbol. I jump up to say it. I tell Calvin, yes, that's what I thought. This whole time, I've thought it. I'm too loud. Mooney wakes and looks at me. He stretches, curls himself the opposite way now, and settles back down. Then I tell Calvin, so what about you? He says, what about me? I say, why do you think about that dead man so much? Calvin stands up and looks at his drawing. He says, well, that's due to a few things. First, it was a cool coincidence that we ended up with a shaft here in the root cellar when the caves of Lasco have an area called the shaft. And the fact that the dead man is in there and that he's the only human drawing image at Lasco, it's interesting. From what I read, no one's sure why he's there. But you have to believe that the artists had a reason. He must be important, even though he's a skinny stick man like me. But no worries, Mason. He's not my symbol. Not like you in the Arrakis. I'm not the dead man. That is a good thing to hear. I step closer to Calvin and look at the photograph on his tablet, the dead man. Then I look at the floor of the root cellar, just below our light shaft. Calvin has drawn a pretty good dead man there in the charcoal, the outline, with his weird head like it's a bird's head, the face that looks like it has a beak. I look at the photo again. I look at the body of that dead man, and I say, That dead man from Lasco, well, he sure has a pointed thing on him. You know that, Calvin. Calvin nods a big nod, and he looks at his tablet. I say, art's like that, right? Calvin says, sometimes. I say, so are you going to draw him as he is? Calvin says, well, it seems important, so I guess I'll draw him the way he was. And I say, I think it's fine if you do. We're not at school. It's probably allowed here, but nobody's going to see it except you and me. That's it. Then I say, what about the bird? Not the one that's part of his face, the one that on the stick beside him. I point. I touch the tablet by accident again and leave a smear of oil crayon. Brown. Calvin never cares, though. He says, oh, that bird is important, too. Do you know what they say about that? I think, and then I say, no. I think that Garrison Keelor said, didn't say anything about the bird. Like, talking bit that he did about Lasco was pretty short. Calvin says, well, for thousands of years, humans have believed that birds will guide souls to the place of the dead. I say, like, to heaven? Calvin nods. Yeah, heaven or whatever comes next. I'm thinking about the times when the shafts of light shine down through the clouds, how Benny Campbell Martin told me those were the paths to heaven. Funny thing. Well, not funny, but if I could talk to Benny again, he'd be able to tell about it. He would know for sure if that's a true thing, because if heaven is real, 
he would have gone there. Calvin kneels, tucks himself down low onto the floor. He goes back to work on his dead man. I sink my fingers into Mooney's furry coat and he leans against me. So I scratch him. I sit back against the wall and look at the Arrakis. I move my head left and right. Funny thing, sometimes that holy cow looks like he's moving. Chapter 43, Rocks and Words and Glitter Calvin and I get to the swoof at the same time. We get stuck in the doorway together, pretty much on purpose. We pretend to be jammed in there, and then we burst through. Calvin dies flat on his front onto the big couch and disappears into the cushions. He looks like nothing but a backpack got th- that got thrown on there. It makes me laugh when he sits up again, white hair standing all on end. We hear Miss Splinny come around the bookcase, and she says, Hi, Calvin. Hi, Mason. Did you bring your lunches like we planned? She's waving at us, hands full. She's got a flat round rock in one hand and a little jar of glitter dots in the other. Her fingers look gluey. Then all of a sudden, she does not have that jar anymore. She says, oh dear, I dropped it. Don't you know, Miss Blinney has had herself another sparkle spill. This one has gone all over the small woolly rug. Calvin and I help. We get down there and Calvin brings an index card. We scrape tiny dots back into the jar. And we do okay, but a lot goes into the shaggy rug. A lot sticks to my hands. I try to wipe the dots off, but they spread all over me. That's how it happens when you're the sweaty gross-out of a kid. Miss Blinney tries her mini-vac on that rug. The glitter dots hang on tight to the rug hairs, and I thought, think, does glitter need glue? Why? Calvin has this idea to take the rug outside and shake it, and Miss Blinney says she'd be grateful if we do. So I'm at one end of the rug and Calvin's at the other. We stand on the strip of grass out in front of the school. We shake the rug and the dots fly up. I'm trying to do two things. One is shake the rug good and hard. One is go easy on Calvin. Don't want to fling him off into the parking lot. It goes okay. Calvin holds on tight and the dots fly away into the wind. Back inside, we wash our hands. Then we squeeze two chairs in. We sit by Miss Blinney's desk and open up our lunches. She goes back to her project. There's a Merrimack Gazette spread open over the top of her desk so she won't get a mess on it. She has lots of smooth, flat rocks there. They have words on them. Silver, shiny, sharpie pen. Miss Blinney has made the letters. Fancy. I try to read the words, just to myself, but I can't. She dabs glue all around the edge of one rock, and then she wipes the extra onto that Merrimack Gazette. And I'll tell you what, it sticks to her finger. I think this. Newspaper on the desk is a very good idea for Miss Blinney. I go and take a bite of my sandwich, find a little blue glitter dot on my bread. I try to pick it off, not sure where it ends up. Could be I will eat the blue dot today. (laughs) Well, the sandwich is good at least, leftover roasted chicken. I swallow a bite, use my napkin, and tell Calvin and Miss Blinney, Funny thing, any sandwich I eat in the swoof tastes better than if I eat it in the cafeteria. Miss Blinney smiles a gentle sort of smile. Calvin says, well, there are several reasons for that. The the cafeteria is anything but a pleasant dining environment. It's loud, overcrowded, and it's likely to be hostile. I like how Calvin Chomsky nails things on the head. Miss Blinney says, hmm, yes, cafeterias can be isolating. It's always the best to dine with a friend. And if you're right, and you're right about the crowding, Miramac has to catch up to itself. This town is so full. She spreads her arms wide. 
I keep one eye on that rock in her fingers. She says, our growing population means we need to grow the schools, too. I think about that. I wonder this. If Uncle Drum had not sold some of our land for lots, would, where would the new houses be? Miss Blinney holds the glitter rock for us to see. She says, what do you think, guys? I lean up and see, to see the rock, and Calvin does, too. I try again to read the words. Calvin says, it's nice, but what is it for? Why courageous? Calvin reads more rocks. Why capable and respected? Why gentle? He says, why all the character trait words? Miss Blinney says, traits, exactly. See, it's hard to identify the greatest qualities that we each possess. I'm all about helping you discover yours, so you will believe in yourselves. That's what the swoof is here for. So I'm making the rocks as reminders, or keepsakes, something you can hold in your hand and read over and over again. I think this. Even a kid like me can do that. Remember one word off a rock. So I say, that's nice of you, Miss Blinney. Real nice. And then I think this. If I hold one of those rocks, I will be covered in glitter dots. Sweat is stronger than glue. But I don't say it. Then Calvin starts talking. Maybe about the rocks. I'm not sure because I've got a distraction. I'm trying to read a rock. Because it's the only one that does not have one long word on it. It has three short ones. I get two words. Pretty sure I'm right. Full and of. Then I see the G, R, and A. So I say, full of grass? Calvin makes a small noise. Tries to keep it hidden behind the sandwich he's holding up in his kitten paws, but I hear it. Miss Blinney says, grace. She picks up the rock and shows it to us. She says, full of grace. Hmm. Could have just been graceful, I guess. Then I know why Calvin made that noise. Grass instead of grace is pretty funny. Miss Blinney says, Oh my gosh, what if you were full of grass? And I say, holy cow! Her eyes open wide and so does her smile. Calvin's does too. And all three of us crack up. Then I say, you know what? I did eat kind of a lot of grass one time. Calvin nods. Yeah, that was last week, right? I saw you do that. I nudged him. Not hard. And I say, when I was little, Miss Blinney nods. I did that too! She rubs glue off of her fingers and says, high five, Mason. We slap. She says, and worse, I ate mushrooms one time in the sandbox with my little brother. Boy, never do that. We had to go to the hospital and they made us throw up. Calvin says, oh, and rolls his eyes. Miss Blinney says, oh, I'm sorry, Calvin. I'm sorry. He looks at the tail end of his sandwich Maybe isn't going to finish now, and I feel sorry for him, but I laugh because Miss Blinney is not afraid to be a gross-out. When my sandwich is done, I stand up. I ball all of my lunch bag trash in my hands, paper and sweat. I look at the set of rocks on top of the newspaper. Glitter and glue are drying. That's when I see Benny Kilmartin, his picture, right on the page of that Miramac Gazette, right there on Miss Blinney's desk. I'm not thinking. I'm saying, oh, hey. Oh, hey, that's Benny. Why is his picture there? What is that about? I look at Miss Blinney and she looks down at the picture. She says, oh, Mason, your friend, I'm so sorry. The paper was just here to keep my desk clean. I didn't even realize. Her cheeks have turned red. Calvin's feet bump against Miss Blinney's desk and he stands up to look. But mostly I can see him looking at me. 
I point to the page and I say, that's, that's him, Calvin. This is Benny Kilmartin. He wrote the acrostic poem, the one in my room. You remember? Calvin nods. Yeah. I look at Miss Blinney and say, but why? Why is Benny's picture in the newspaper now? What is it about? Miss Blinney says, well, this is a paper from a while ago. And I say, like, from when he died? Then Calvin answers. He says, no, this is a few weeks old. I'm surprised he knows that. Miss Blinney says, well, stories about Benny run periodically because they're still trying to find out what happened. You know. I say, oh, yeah, I know, because, well, Lieutenant Baird, he says it's an investigation. She says, yes. And I say, boy, I didn't know it was in the newspaper. We get the Merrimack Gazette, but Uncle Drum recycles those pretty quick these days, and I can't read the newspaper anyway. I guess it makes sense, though. Even if the news is sad, it still goes in the paper. I lean there a long time at Miss Blinney's desk. I'm looking at Benny. It's the smiling picture. His two front teeth are squares. Perfectly pretty ones. I forgot it was about him, somehow. And forgetting comes up on me weird. It makes me wish I had not eaten all of my sandwich. Calvin says, Couldn't Mason have that picture, Miss Blinney? Then he checks with me and says, Do you want it? Then looks back at Miss Blinney and says, Can we cut it out? She says, Oh, sure. If you wouldn't mind a little glue and glitter with it. I sure don't. So there's Miss Blinney sliding rocks to one side. She grabs her scissors and makes clean, quick cuts while I dry my hands on my pants. Then I take the picture of my old friend, Benny Kilmartin. I hold it close to my eyes and I think this. I want to see him and see him and see him. I got a feeling inside me. The loving memory of Benny. All right, we are going to stop there for today. Tomorrow we are going to be on chapter 44 and it is called Distressed. I will see you tomorrow.